Are you thankful for that? I'm convinced. Are you thankful for that? Amen. He took not some. He didn't take part. He took it all away. The debt that you and I owed to be able to stand before a holy God that we could never pay in our own strength, in our own abilities, in our own morality and efforts, Jesus Christ took that penalty that you and I owed completely away. And that is something to be grateful for, that is something to be thankful for, and that is something to absolutely not be silent about. He has said that we are his witnesses, we are his ambassadors, and he is making his appeal to those in our community, in our city, and around the world through us. This is something we cannot take lightly, but we must rejoice and we must give thanks. During that, as we were singing that song, I will sing of my Redeemer, I thought about the service this morning. And just so you know, when we prepare this service, it's not like Jordan and whoever's preaching that day sits down and tries to make it look like everything is aligned by man's power or man's ability. God is the one who orchestrates the service and much prayer and goes into it. But I found it interesting that there was a definite theme from the very start of this morning. On one side, there's a pencil. And I don't want to sprain my ankle. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> On one side is the amazing power and love of Jesus Christ. And then the other side is our response to that amazing love and power of Jesus Christ. You witnessed response and baptism this morning to that amazing love and power of Jesus Christ. You have witnessed what can I do what can I do but sing to you? A response to that amazing power and love of Jesus Christ is to come and worship and is to come and sing. And it's one thing for us to gather together as a family of believers this morning and say, I will sing of my Redeemer. But the challenge that I believe God has been given me throughout this week and the challenge that I want to share with you this morning, that's great that we will sing of our Redeemer here on Sunday morning, but will we live for him 24-7 during the week? Because otherwise what we do here on Sunday and what we sing is a joke if we're not willing to live for our Redeemer every day of the week. And so this morning I want to talk to you about a, a very sensitive topic that all of us struggle with. And if you don't believe me, stick your tongue out and chomp as hard as you can. We all struggle with our tongue. And we're going to talk about that this morning. But before we do, I think it's good as a family to celebrate the efforts and the investment that so many of you have made in the younger generation. I thank you for that. And I, I implore you, just because your kids are maybe graduated from children or youth program or young adult program, doesn't mean that you are exempt from continuing to invest in the next generation. I thank you. This is a church that believes in the next generation and discipling them to obey everything that Christ has commanded. And last night I had the privilege of being invited to the Verbeek's house for a little reception for Josh Verbeek. How many of you and sometime during Josh's life from the nursery through to when he left to go to Alberta for Bible college, spent some time with Josh somehow investing in him. Either family, friends, teachers in Sunday school, youth leaders, yes. 
I see hands, I see friends' hands popping up, okay? Well, last night I had the privilege, and what happens is these kids go off to university and college, and we've invested all this spiritual food into them, and we never know how did it work out, did it turn out. Well, last night I had the privilege of being at the Verbeeks for a little reception because Josh got married since he has left here. And uh, I don't know what Dutch people do to their chickens, but let me tell you, I never had that big of chicken kebabs growing up in Africa. So uh, I don't know what they put in it, but be careful if a Dutch person offers you a chicken kebab. It's not. It's like a steak on a stick. But I thought it's really neat. This morning, Josh Josh Verbeek and his wife Ashton are here with us. And I think it's great as a church to celebrate that Josh went off to college. And Josh sought after a godly woman. A woman who loves and fears God. And I commend him for that. And so Mr. and Mrs. Josh Versteeg, can you stand up so the congregation can see you? There they are at the back there. Great job. And I do that to encourage you. That's the fruit of your labor. Young men and women leaving this environment, going off to university and college, not neglecting the most important relationship in their life, and that's their relationship with Jesus Christ, But not only that, finding someone to enjoy life with who has the same passions and the same desires. Well, I don't know if you have noticed, but I'm finding more and more that the society we live in is becoming an extremely hyper-safety-conscious society. I mean, just the other day I was walking up. Yes, I am walking out regularly during the week. I've given up running. So I walk up Simcoe and I go around the college campus and there's this new construction site where I presume they're going to put more student housing. There's nothing in the construction site but big piles of dirt. Yet it's surrounded with a six-foot wire fence and every two feet that I'm walking I see the same sign. Do not enter. If you enter this property you have to have a hard hat, safety glasses, safety shoes. I can't remember what else. But there's nothing in there but dirt. I'm sure many of you remember the day that if you were a kid and had a bike, paradise. There we go. And here it's been fenced off and you got to have all these things before you're even allowed to go in there and ride your bike. And obviously you wouldn't be allowed to ride your bike in there. Now please don't misunderstand me. I have four young kids. I do appreciate the role that warning signs and labels play in preventing injury and harm and even possible fatal occurrences. It's just that some of them seem to point to such obvious danger that none of us would think of engaging in an activity that it's telling us not to do. For example, take a look at this sign. Please don't feed fingers to the animals. (laughs) We don't need to think about it. Of course we're not going to. How about the next one? Danger. Moving propellers rip off heads. We get it. We're probably not going to do what it says. And finally, seriously, please do not set yourself on fire. Thank you for your cooperation. These are examples of warning signs that we obviously are not going to go near a helicopter and see how good our vertical is. All right? But then there are other signs that are just as important that are there to protect us from potential danger, yet our behavioral patterns seem to communicate we don't take them as seriously. And I only use signs that I myself have broken. First of all, how many of you have broken that? 
Thank you. You didn't pay attention to the warning sign. How about this one? We should be called Jaywalking Baptist Church. Right? And finally, I did this one yesterday after I had studied the word. No dialing, no texting, no talking while driving. Ah. Warning signs that are there for our own protection... But it seems, unfortunately, that until we experience the negative consequences of not obeying these signs, we are willing to live recklessly. We are willing to live recklessly. It's like we've become desensitized to the danger that breaking those warning signs brings. So today we're going to take a look at a red flag warning. Now, when I went as a kid, we used to go to vacation in South Africa. When the red flag came up on the beach... You would see everyone get out of the water, and you'd see all the lifeguards get in the water. And that means that somewhere in the shark net, there's been a problem, and there could be a shark potentially swimming in the area that we're supposed to be swimming in. Red flag warning. I found it interesting last night at 11 o'clock, I was watching the news. There is a red alert now for air traffic because of a volcano that is starting to erupt in Iceland. A red flag warning, a red alert means there is imminent danger. You must pay attention, or you risk facing dire consequences. And today I want us to look at a red flag warning that James, the half-brother of Jesus, gave in very blunt fashion, using very strong language, all under the guidance and the inspiration of God. And I believe as I studied this week that God inspired him to write in such a blunt fashion because God knew that his followers back in James's day, who he was writing to, and his followers here today at Calvary Baptist Church in Oshawa, we easily forget and become desensitized to the ever-present power and danger of our tongues and the words that come out of our mouth. I don't know if you remember, I was in university during the first Gulf War. You heard of a military tactic called shock and awe. Shock and awe. Shock and awe is a military tactic where an overwhelming level of shock and awe is imposed against an adversary on an immediate and sufficiently timely basis to paralyze its will to carry on, allowing one to take control of an environment. And my prayer this morning is that through God's word, we will realize the adversary that all of us possess in our mouth. And through God's word, I pray that he will shock and awe us into recognizing the power and danger of our tongues and the need to surrender the control of them under his power. Will you turn to the book of James, chapter 3 and verse 1. And I would ask you to stand as we read God's word this morning. And pay special attention to this red flag warning God inspired James to write. The text reads, James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, 
The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the red alert that you inspired James to write. Oh God, I pray that you will shock and awe us to the power and the danger of our tongues. And our response to your word this morning will be to ask you to control us so that we might live by the Spirit. And we will use the words of our mouth for life and not death. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. James was writing a very clear warning. There is extreme power and danger in our tongues. And notice he was writing to Jewish believers. In, in verse 1, he says, to my fellow believers who were part, if you look at chapter 1 and verse 1, these Jewish believers were part of the 12 tribes that had been scattered abroad. And he was driven to write to them because of the, some circumstances that they were experiencing and needs that had arisen in their spiritual walk with Jesus Christ as a result of those circumstances. In chapter 1 and verse 2, you will see that it says... Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So they were facing trials. They were under oppression. If you look in chapter 2, verse 6, you see more specifically that they were being harassed and taken advantage of by fellow Jews, wealthy fellow Jews, who were not followers of Jesus Christ. They were opponents of Jesus Christ. And while they were taking advantage of these less wealthier Jewish people who were followers of Jesus Christ, this is who James was addressing, they were blaspheming the name of Christ to the congregation that James was writing to belonged. I don't know if you have had the, I don't even know if I should call it opportunity, I don't know if you've had someone blaspheme your Savior who took it all away for you. I don't know if that's just become so common to us that it just goes in one ear or out the other. But let me tell you, when I was in East Africa at a high school doing an outreach event, and there was a group of people from another religion stood up and just started to call out on who they believe in. Let me tell you, something in your gut just starts to turn. I pray that you love your Savior so much that when someone blasphemes it, it causes you great distress. So they were being taken advantage of. Their savior was being blasphemed. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, you also see that the church was deeply divided because of false teachers. So there was this combination of harassment, oppression, 
your, your Savior who you belong to is being blasphemed. Then you got all these false teachers. And the combination of these circumstances was causing the followers of Jesus Christ who James is writing to, to express their anger and frustration verbally. But they must have gone too far because God inspired James to write this warning. James was writing to them to encourage them, but not only that, to also instruct them of God's expectations of his followers to live out holy lives. That's why I started this morning saying, we can sing of our great Redeemer. To the book of James this morning, I, ha- I hope that the Holy Spirit will convict you. That's great. I'm glad you can sing of your great Redeemer. But can you practically live for your great Redeemer every day of the week? And this is what James was concerned about. He noticed that they were not living as followers of Jesus Christ because of the evidence that was coming out of their mouth. And we know in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 13, what does the Bible say? Whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That includes our speech. That includes our words. That includes the way our tongue is engaged in our activities. Throughout the book of James, you will find practical truths connected to the central theme of how to practically live every day as a Christian. And I love the book of James. He uses so many images from nature. And I'm a visual learner. And so I can relate to his style of writing. And I pray that you will also experience that this morning. So let's examine some practical truths that James gives us in our text this morning in this red flag warning about our tongues. First of all, I want you to note, it is powerful. Your tongue is powerful. Although small, don't underestimate its ability. It is powerful. And James highlights this truth by comparing it to the power of a bit that you put in the mouth of a horse or a rudder on the bottom of a ship that can have the ability to control something so much larger than itself. If you ever take a look at a ship and the massive size of it and then you look at the rudder, it's so tiny. But the rudder has such incredible power to be able to control this massive vessel that is so much bigger than itself. In verse 3, we read, a bit can turn the whole animal. A ship, in verse 4, although so large, not just large, but also driven by strong winds, is steered by a very small rudder. I remember when my brother-in-law, and many of you journeyed with him online, was traveling across the Atlantic trying to make it from West Africa to uh, Miami. And uh, I remember certain days he would post videos, and the sound of the wind as it beat that little rowboat out in the middle of nowhere was incredible. And you know what was amazing was they would throw out this little parachute anchor. It actually never went to the bottom. It was just this little piece of material that was thrown out in the midst of the driving winds that would keep the boat directed in the right way to handle the storm. Something so small but yet has such incredible ability. But as I was studying the text this week, I want you to see a couple of interesting statements that were made related to... The bit that is put in a horse's mouth and the rudder on the bottom of a ship. Look in verse 3. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. We obey us and we 
can turn the whole animal. Take a look at verse 4. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants it to go. In spite of the incredible ability of these two pieces of equipment, a bit and a rudder, I want you to notice these statements. If not controlled by another, they are ineffective and actually can lead to dangerous situations. Yes, a bit can do an incredible thing. It can turn a whole animal. Yes, a rudder can steer a whole ship in the middle of strong winds. If there is someone at the end of that rain controlling that horse. And if there is a pilot and the captain steering the ship. Do you understand what I'm saying? It has incredible ability. It has incredible power. But they must be controlled by another. Picture a wild horse in a field with a bit in its mouth, but no trainer holding the reins. Or a large ship with a rudder driven by strong winds, but no pilot directing it where to go. Extremely dangerous. This is why he says in verse 5, likewise. He's just made these analogies, and then he says, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. It too has the power and ability to control something so much larger than itself, our whole person, our whole being. It can influence everything in our lives for either good or evil if it is not controlled by another. Who is holding the reins of your tongue? Who is piloting the direction of your speech and inevitably your life? These are important questions because James goes on to say right after that, consider, consider, think about it. Think about what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. This summer we've witnessed it on the news. I mean, Western Canada and the U.S. have been devastated by wildfires. And you know what's amazing is I love the news. I'm a news junkie. And you know what's incredible is there's so much resources, so much time, so much filming of the effect, the damage, the harm caused in the middle of these large forest fires. Not too much time is actually reported on what caused it. But yet, somewhere, a spark, maybe from a campfire, maybe from a cigarette butt that wasn't completely put out, started something that spread so quickly and so rapidly and had such devastating effects. I remember a couple springs ago, we were up at our farm, and uh, we'd been trying to clear a few fields that my ancestors worked so hard to clear so they could farm. I mean, if you come up to our farm and you see these stone fences, they're about this wide and about this high, and all those stones were in the field when they came. And so just in honor of their labor, we try and keep a few of them clear. And let me tell you, it's hard to fight nature because saplings and little trees that just keep coming up. So what we did with the one behind the old farmhouse is we cleared it and we made these piles in the field, and uh, we, we didn't get time the year before to get the chipper, but this is now spring. So you know what, let's just burn them. It's okay, it's spring. Well, Jen is my witness, God is my witness. My dad and I put a match to the one little pile and within 
that amount of time, we all looked at each other and went, we're in trouble. Because all you heard was, and it just started to go from that little pile that we were burning and started to take over the field. And I remember pulling off my jacket and my dad pulled off his jacket and we were beating the ground and dancing. If anyone had been looking, they'll think, yeah, that's why they went to Africa. They're crazy missionaries doing this weird dance. I mean, we were in immediate fight mode. Two seconds before, we weren't worried at all. Spring, ground's still wet. It's not going to go anywhere. Let me tell you, do not underestimate the power of something as small as a spark. It can set a whole forest on fire. And I challenge you, recognize the power and pray as David did in Psalms 141 verse 3. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord, and keep watch over the door of my lips. Your tongue is very powerful. Secondly, because it's powerful, it is dangerous. This is an incredible verse, verse 6. Look at the progression of the danger as he describes our tongue. Think about your tongue. Feel it with your teeth. The tongue is a fire. World of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. That's your tongue. That's my tongue. It's a fire, a world of evil. It corrupts, sets the whole course of your life, my life, on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. It's a fire. I love a quote that I read this week by John MacArthur. It's sinful words that come out of our mouth can spread destruction rapidly, or as it's accompanying smoke, our words can permeate and ruin everything around it. I don't think you have to have a very long conversation with the Trinquans, and they could tell you the power and the effect of smoke permeating their furniture that was in their house that's being rebuilt now. I remember going into an old lady's apartment when I was working at the seniors' building. And I didn't know what the source of it was, but when I opened the door, I couldn't see the window through the, through the smoke. Let me tell you, that smoke, it didn't just go away. It permeated every piece of her furniture. That's the destructive capability and the long-lasting effects of our words if they're not under control. It's a world of evil among the parts of the body. It represents and reflects the sinful nature in which we, the sinful world and nature in which we possess, which is op opposed to God. It can usher in a world of evil just as a spark can start a large fire. And I encourage you, brothers and sisters, God is doing a great thing among us. And I give him all the credit and all the glory. But what we enjoy here together this morning can be destroyed if we are not careful with how we speak to one another or how we speak about one another behind each other's backs. It's a fire. May God help me, may God help you not to be one who ushers in the characteristics of the world of evil that we live in into his family here at Calvary Baptist Church. It needs to be controlled and guided by the Holy Spirit of God. It corrupts the whole body. It pollutes it. It contaminates our whole being. The spread of sin from our wicked speech permeates all of our behavior. 
If you meet someone who has a hateful tongue, I can guarantee you hang out with them long enough, you'll see they have hateful behavior. If you're not willing to allow God, Pastor Dwayne prayed about it in his prayer this morning. If you're not allow, allowing God to sanctify your mouth and your speech, I hang out with you long enough, you hang out with me long enough, I guarantee you can see I'm not allowing God to also sanctify other areas of my life. It can pollute and contaminate the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire. The effects of the evil activities of our tongues, brothers and sisters, extend beyond just ourselves and have the ability to harm everything and everyone in our circle of influence. Listen to what pastor and author Chuck Swindle says about the effect of our words on those around us. How much hurt, how much damage can be done by chance remarks. Remember, a spark just happens to hop out of the fire, sets the forest on fire. Chance remarks. Our unguarded tongues can deposit germ thoughts of hurt, humiliation, and hate into tender minds which fester, become full-blown infections, and ultimately spread disease throughout an adult personality. I would ask you, I ask myself, as we interact with one another and as we interact with those in our community, please think before you speak. Think before you speak. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. That acronym is something that I found in uh, one of the Focus on the Family magazines that we offer quarterly here at the church. I encourage you parents, use them. It's a great resource. Think before you speak. Is what I'm about to say to Brett King true? Is it honorable? Is it going to inspire Brett? Is it necessary and is it kind? Run your words through that filter. Think, is it true? Is it honorable? Is it going to inspire the individual? Is it necessary and is it kind? One author said the need to think before we speak is even greater in our day of a 24-7 news cycle, in a date of Twitter, Facebook, email, and social media. Nothing said can be taken back. So put a guard around your tongue. For others' sake and your own, as the famous old saying goes, it is better to be thought a fool than open your mouth and remove all doubt. Think before you speak. Later on in verse 2, you see two more descriptions of its danger. It is described as a restless evil, unpredictable, and full of deadly poison. Think about it. These are such strong words. For a little piece of our body, did you know that your tongue is full of deadly poison? I sure began to appreciate more this truth as I studied it this week. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison, capable of lethal attacks. How powerful and dangerous is it? Let's read together verse 8. One, two, three. But no human being can tame the tongue. Yeah. No human being can tame the tongue. How powerful, how dangerous is this little thing inside my mouth? There is no human being that can tame the tongue. 
It says in verse 7, we've been able to, meaning mankind, tame lots of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures. I've witnessed it myself. Our neighbors in Africa, they had pet lions. We had beware of the dog on our gate. They had beware of the lions. And I actually went in their backyard one day, my dad and myself and my brother, and my dad talks about it now, and he goes, what was I thinking? I would have been, CS would have come to our house and taken you guys from me. So my dad led us into the backyard of these people, and they had lions. They had lions. I was like, such powerful beasts. I've seen them kill zebras, seen them kill kudus. And yet mankind's been able to tame a lion, but a tongue, no human being has been able to tame it. So if that's the case, then what does that mean? That means we need supernatural power to be able to tame our tongue. Because you and I, we're just natural. And if we can't do it, folks, there's only, other, only one other way, and that's we need supernatural power that can only come from God by being connected to him through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And then if that's the case, we have good news about this dangerous thing in our mouth that is full of deadly poison. Luke 18, 27 says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. It's powerful, it's dangerous. Thirdly, it's irrational. In verses 9 through 12, James uses different illustrations from nature to demonstrate the irrational activity of our tongues. On one hand, we praise God. On the other hand, with the same mouth, we gossip, we complain, we tear people down. We even curse other people who, by the way, have been made in the image of God, who we come on Sunday and we praise. That is irrational behavior. Irrational behavior. And he uses these illustrations from nature. He says in verse 11, can both fresh and salt water come from the same spring? I can tell you, no, they can't. We have a, a live spring on our farm that comes from the ground. Let me tell you, it's the most beautiful water in the world. It is always cold. It is always refreshing. It is always clean. I can tell you from experience, I have tried body surfing in South Africa on the beaches of Durban, and I have been slammed by a wave, and my mouth has been filled with salt water, and I can tell you it's not the same experience that I have at the farm when I take a cool drink of that fresh water. Can a fig tree bear olives? No. To be honest with you, I don't care. Because Miss Ida is trying to help me be a healthier man, and she's now told for her blood pressure to eat a fig a day. Well, she gave me a fig the other day. That's just nasty. <laughs> like, if you haven't had that, it's, it is sandpaper wrapped up in a fruit, one of those fruit things that kids eat that they say is fruit, but it's not. I would encourage you to try one this afternoon. <laughs> nasty. So this illustration, we didn't much, I don't care. But it's seriously, it's unnatural. No, a fig tree is not going to bear olives. I wish it bore Tootsie Rolls. That would be better. <laughs> or a grapevine. We had grapevines in Africa. Did grapevines bear figs? No, every day I went out to the backyard, it was grapes that kept coming up. James is saying that as unnatural as it would be for any of these to happen in nature, brothers and sisters, it should be as equally unnatural for a Christian to praise God and curse another who is created in the image of God. Unfortunately, I've been guilty of, and I think you would admit you've been guilty of, 
that sometimes that practice of praising God and irrationally cursing someone who's created in his likeness is far too common in our lives. We cannot use our tongues for expressions of speech that are mutually incompatible. And he says in verse 10, my brothers and my sisters, this irrational behavior should not be. So finally, because of its power, because of its danger and its irrational nature, if our tongues are not controlled or guarded, can cause mass destruction. We need God's supernatural power in our lives. But as equally as important, I believe, God's glory and our identity as his followers is on the line with how we allow God to control our mouths. James says in chapter 2, verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works or deeds is dead. Good deeds, including our speech, is evidence of genuine faith. The implication is that a true follower of Christ will not make a practice of unchristlike speech. Therefore, the practice of unlike unchristlike speech is evidence that an individual may not be a Christian and is therefore in danger of hell. And you say, man, that's pretty strong. Yeah, it is. That's why it's a red alert. That's why it's a red flag warning. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 and 37, the image of a good tree bearing good fruit and a bad tree bearing bad fruit are applied specifically to speech as the fruit of one's inner character. What comes out of our mouth reveals the condition of our heart. Genuine faith must be accompanied by good deeds in our everyday Christian lives. And those good deeds, folks, are actually God's deeds. They're the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, which one of them is self-control. The demonstration of self-control testifies to others in our sphere of influence, the presence and the power of God in our lives through his spirit, validating our justification before God. Look what James says in chapter 2 and verse 24. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. I'm not preaching heresy. I'm not trying to lead you down the wrong path. I want you to know I believe firmly that good deeds are never the cause of salvation. You and I are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, period. But good deeds are always the result of our salvation. We love to emphasize the first because that is good news, that we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. My challenge to you, my challenge to me this week as I study God's word is, okay, but do you acknowledge me as your Lord? Because if you would, then the fruit of the Spirit would be more evident of this great salvation that I have given you. So how are we going to monitor our tongues? <laughs> we can't do it on our own. We learned that. Remain in Christ. John chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit you will have the ability to have self-control. 
Apart from me, you can do nothing about the power, the danger, and the irrational activity of your tongue. It's not exercising more human effort. It's not trying to do more human tactics. It's recognizing that apart from the power of Jesus Christ in my life, I can do nothing about this lethal thing in my mouth that is full of deadly poison that can cause an incredible forest fire with a spoken word. Does the activities of your tongue reveal genuine faith? Or does it leave people confused about God and his ability to transform lives? Are you destroying yourself and everyone around you with your tongue? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us so much that you gave us your word. And you gave us your word to warn us so that we will not experience the negative consequences that you know come as a result of this evil adversary we all have in our mouth, our tongues. Oh God, may your word and your warning sink deep into our hearts and may our response be appropriate. In Jesus' name. Ladies and gentlemen, there is always hope because of the cross. It is only by the power of his love working in our lives that we can change our everyday practical way of living as a child of God and bring glory to him. If you are here this morning and you have never received Jesus' love and forgiveness, then you are spiritually dead. And you do not have the power. You are powerless to be able to live a life that pleases God. But today, that can all change for you. He loves you and he wants to be your pilot and empower you in the direction of your life. To my fellow believers, if this morning God through his word has convicted you and you know your tongue needs to be reined in and brought under his authority, maybe you've underestimated the power and danger of your tongue and are guilty of praising God and cursing others at the same time. I encourage you with these three practical steps. When you're on fire, you all learned this when you are in school, stop, drop, and roll. Stop. When you're tempted to verbally attack, James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He will always provide a way of escape before you spew deadly poison. Look for the way of escape. Think before you speak. Stop. Secondly, drop. If you have committed sins against God and others with your words, 1 John 1, 9 says, confess our sins. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And I love this word related to our talk this morning. And purify us from all unrighteousness. All of us, I'm sure, have Britas in our fridge. We work so hard and we spend so much money to make sure the impurities out of the water we drink. May God, by his Holy Spirit, convict us. Our mouths need to be purified. Get the impurities out of there. Drop to your knee. Confess. And finally, roll. Move away. Move on from living the way you've been living out of control. Philippians 3.13 says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, we press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. Stop, drop, and roll. I would encourage you this morning, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ and you have no clue about the power we're talking about, please come and talk to us after the service. I would encourage you, 
If you've been guilty of setting a forest on fire, don't leave God's house until you come forward and confess to God. And you might have to go and confess your sins to others who you have set on fire by your words. Do not leave today without responding to the message God has given you. God bless you. Don't live dangerously and irrationally, but live according to the Spirit. Amen.